This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today in studio, we welcome back Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We're going to talk about fireflies, also known as lightning bugs. The weather's warmer, and these bioluminescent creatures are lighting up the night sky, so we're going to talk about why they're putting on their light show and where is the best place to see them. Also, Dr. Major is here ready to take your pet questions. So join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I had, a, I guess, a controlled brush with wildlife this past weekend. Went down to visit my brother in Pensacola. Uh, we went to Fort Walton Beach to the Gulfarium, which has been in Fort Walton Beach since 1955. In fact, we lived there when I was a kid in the early 70s, and I remember going there. But it's kind of like a SeaWorld kind of place. We saw a, a dolphin show and a sea lion show, and they have a number of exhibits there. So, um, like I said, not a controlled brush with wildlife. But it was interesting. saw some rays that are really fascinating creatures. There's a nice shark. Uh, it was in a tank, so we got a good close-up of him. And it is amazing what the, how those... Um, Dolphins can jump around in their tank like that, so it was a lot of fun, and like I said, brought back some memories of of uh, living there way back when in the 1970s. So, and it's interesting to me that that place has obviously it's it's expanded some, but uh, my brother and I were trying to figure out you know where where the original um, structures were, and I, I imagine that that the dolphin tank probably has been there for a long time. So, uh, something fun to do on on the Gulf Coast when you're not out there on the beach. So, um, Libby, you've got always want to tell us about some upcoming events. What do you have for us? Yeah, I guess the first one I need to mention is uh, the lecture about fireflies this coming Tuesday, May the 7th, at the Museum of Natural Science, noon to 1 o'clock. So 12 to 1, Tuesday at noon. And uh, Lynn Faust will be coming from Tennessee, from Chattanooga. She's the lady that wrote the... Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs, which is really the only book about fireflies hmm. that gives us any information about the Southeast. And it's a very good book. And she has very entertaining presentation, so it's definitely worth going to see. Yeah, we had her on the show last year, I think, when mm-hmm. she was here. So, yeah, that's uh, uh, it was, she did a real good job of, of letting everyone know about the, these uh, interesting creatures. Uh, so, in addition to warmer weather marking the return of fireflies, it also marks, well, I don't know if the return, whether they're here all year, but more uh, troublesome with mosquitoes, and they certainly bother humans. Uh, but what about our pets, Dr. Major? Do they tend to bother our cats and dogs uh, as much as they buzz us? Absolutely. They, uh, in fact, think of this, uh, especially if your dog or cat is outside, they can be under constant attack. Uh, I've seen some dog houses that were nothing but full of mosquitoes when you think about the, where they might accumulate. But yes, they, they are an issue. They are a problem. As most of our listeners know, uh, mosquitoes uh, spread heartworm disease, which is uh, a 
prime importance here in the South and really nationwide now. So our dogs need to be on a a heartworm preventive year-round, and there are a multitude of those. Most of them are very good. Uh, They need to be given as directed, though, and try not to have any skips uh, in between the heartworms. Usually there's there are monthly heartworm preventives, and there are then preventives that are one that's given every six months. Uh, the other thing with the mosquitoes, there are some uh, helpful uh, preventives that uh, seem to work well. I use one on my big white dog. Uh, gosh, she's up to 107 pounds now, so she's getting pretty big. I think I need to put her on a diet probably. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, um, you can actually apply a medication there that will actually kill the mosquitoes and repel them. Uh, Since she's white, I've seen mosquitoes light on her and actually fall off. So I try to walk close to her whenever I'm out walking her (laughs) because she may be a good repeller uh, with that. (laughs) But, yes, they can cause problems. We see cats cats maybe not quite as much of a problem as uh, the dogs. We do see some cats that actually have uh, severe reaction to mosquitoes, especially around the nose and ears, face. So, yes, they can worry our pets just like they worry us. I would, one other thing, I'll quit. <laughs> one other thing is that our uh, birds also, uh, you remember that there are some viruses that the mosquitoes spread uh, to birds, and certainly if you have caged birds, uh, the tendency a lot of times is to put them outside and let them get the fresh air and all. But be careful because they can spread uh, the West Nile and possibly other diseases that can affect our birds. So do uh, do dogs get mosquito bites and do they itch kind of like they with humans? Usually you don't see that uh, as, as, a, as an issue. They're much more likely to itch from fleas, which is a whole different subject, and we can discuss that. But uh, And we're getting to, into prime flea season now, as you well know. Uh, but they don't usually have the irritation uh, that uh, we have. All right. A uh, couple of emails here. One is uh, our friend Jane Flood, who's, a, I think, a Saturday listener primarily, has emailed the show a lot, recently sent in a picture. Uh, our producer, Java, looked at it, and it looks like, as he described, a little blue speck in a tree. So, Jane, if you could possibly get a picture a little closer, a little clearer of the bird itself, uh, we we can send it in. We'll see if we can't help you identify that. Oh, yeah, and we might want to look at that anyway, because sometimes a, it's probably an indigo bunting. Yeah, I'll bet we can tell by the co- by the shade of the blue, All right. yeah, whether um, it's a blue grosbeak speaker or an indigo bunting. So I got bunting. the thumbs up from Java. I think we have that. So, Jane, yeah. if you're listening, uh, either the Thursday morning on the Saturday repeat. Hang on, we might, we might have an answer for you there, after all. We've got three blue birds, and pretty much if you just see okay. the hue of blue, you can kind of tell which one it is usually. All right, here's another email. It's a pet email. It says, please advise, despite two clean litter boxes, Oliver will randomly leave a poop in odd places. Uh, this may happen once every two to three weeks. He does not appear frustrated when it happens. I usually move the second box to wherever the recent deposit has occurred. Is there any scent that would help him stay in his box or another suggestion to prevent this? He's a single indoor-outdoor cat, mostly in. I guess the question I would have, first question would be, how old is this cat? I'm sorry, it does say the title of the email is one-year-old yellow tabby. Okay, well, this may be more of a psychological problem. Uh, then uh, I was thinking in terms of arthritis, sometimes our, our older cats uh, may forget what they're doing and step out of the box and uh, deposit uh, poop, especially in, in an odd place. 
there's some reason that he's doing this. It was a good idea to put the second box uh, close to where he was going. And it may be a little bit more difficult to control since he is an inside-outside cat. Uh, if there's not been any changes, uh, it might be a hard thing to really for me to tell uh, uh, on the radio because I don't know all the circumstances. But plenty of litter boxes and try to put one most recent place where he's gone. Uh, also, from my experience, I would say get a good um, cleanser or something because I know that the cats have a better sense of smell than we do, and I would think that if they smell their poop or whatever, they'd sure. be like, oh, hey, this is okay for me to go here sure. again. And you're much better off if it is poop and good solid poop as opposed to urine. <laughs> yes. uh, urine tends to soak through the carpet if you have a carpet and even get down to the pad. So it's almost impossible to get rid of all that odor. Yeah, my cat's pretty good, but uh, he used his scratching post as his litter box uh, the other day, which I thought was kind of strange. What did you do to set him off? I, well, the, I, he, fortunately, he does that cat because he was over there by his, his scratching post doing the scratching up, covering up the litter box stuff. And I'm thinking, that does not look good. And <laughs> yeah. I kind of picked it up and I saw it there. So I was able to. Unfortunately, get rid of it. He had pretty much torn it up, though, so it, it got its use. But I thought that was kind of odd that because he he loves those scratching posts. I and mean, then he continues to scratch in areas where he's not to, but he will absolutely go to town on those little cardboard scratching posts. It's, I think that's been a, a good purchase. Hey, we're looking for your phone calls this morning. We're going to be talking about fireflies throughout the hour with our guest, Paul Hartfield. Also, Dr. Major is here, ready for some pet questions. So give us a call to join the conversation. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts. Stay tuned. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, we're going to be talking today about fireflies, where you might want to see one and why they do what they do. Uh, if you'd like to join our conversation with a phone call, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So our friend Jane Flood sent in a picture. At first we thought it might have been too small, but uh, Libby and Paul were saying because of it being a bluebird, it might have been fairly easy to identify because there aren't a lot of bluebirds running around out there. So, Libby, what, what have you all come up yeah, with? It, it looks like it's an indigo bunting on a feeder. Bluebirds don't go to a feeder, so we eliminated that one. It looks like a lighter blue than the blue grosbeak, so I'm pretty sure it's an indigo bunting, and this is the perfect time to see them. We've got a bunch of them at our house, and um, all the kind of bird feeder nuts we know that's what we've got a lot of them. Everybody's looking for painteds. There are a few painteds around, so Jane should keep her eye out for a painted bunting as well, which will have green and red and blue and yellow. You know, a little yellow on it. Yeah, it's a, it's and it's kind of the same shape as this indigo. But indigo is 
It's certainly a beautiful bird. All right. Well, good. So thanks, uh, Jane, for sending that in, and uh, glad we could get the bird identified for you. Uh, we do have a caller on the line, so let's start things off by talking to Bashir in Summerall. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a neighbor who uh, I just discovered that they have like three cats, and they've been nice and plump and round, and now they're like really kind of thin, uh, thin um, and they've been eating okay. They've been eating fine, but they seem to be losing weight and their hair is shedding. Do you think that um, they... Uh, she hadn't been giving them a dewormer. Do you think that that might be the problem, or there's something else that needs to be considered? Okay, these these are outside cats. Yes. Okay. Certainly, uh, deworming would be uh, a one of the choices. Uh, have they been fixed, neutered, spayed? No. Okay. First thing I thought of when you said round and plump, I was thinking they might have had kittens and hiding them somewhere. Oh. Uh, uh-huh. That was the first thought I had, but <laughs> may not be true. Uh, certainly deworming them. Uh, there are certain diseases that can affect, uh, such as feline leukemia, which I certainly hope it is not. Uh, it might be good if these cats are approachable to at least get one of them in and, and have it checked by a veterinarian. Uh, okay. I, I would say that if all of them are losing weight, the other thing would be a food change. I don't know if the food has been changed or not, but certainly that could affect as well. So, now, I w- question. Yes. If they were eating and they still had an appetite, would you still need to consider a food change? Well, I was thinking that maybe there was a food change. If the food change has not been, it might be wise to go on and change uh, oh, okay. and see how they do. Uh, oh, okay. My, my real suggestion would be since they've lost weight, all three of them, Get at least one of them into the vet and and let them check it over. Be sure there's no contagious disease such as leukemia or feline AIDS. Uh, uh, I would feel better and also to check for parasites. Okay, parasites. Okay. So so right now, giving them dewormer is good, but you need to follow up with more in terms of consideration. Yes. Okay. And, And just as a question also... How frequently would you give a cat dewormer? Okay, outside cats are subject, especially if you have no flea control. Uh, the most uh-huh. common worm uh, probably associated with fleas would be a tapeworm, and they have to have a specialized, you need to ask about the wormer for that. It is a specialized wormer. Uh, and also, roundworms would be very common. So I, I would think that uh, combination, and you have to, really know before you do that, which would mean taking a stool sample to your vet or getting a cat in and let him or, him or her check the cat over, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Uh, thanks for your call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines here t- temporarily as we speak with David in Horn Lake. Good morning, David. Go ahead. Good morning. I got uh, two separate questions on different subject matter. I got a section of my yard that I'm thinking about letting go in kind of a, a natural and Litterman Nature Center in Memphis are going to have a native plant sale. My question is for the firefly guy, what kind of native plants would he recommend that would encourage uh, fireflies and a sort of critters like that? And then i got a dog question. Okay. That's a great question. Uh, oak trees. <laughs> Basically, the, the fireflies, uh, the larvae live in leaf litter 
uh, generally in wooded areas. Uh, you do get some spe- a lot of species right along edge habitats, so I'm sure your yard would be considered edge habitat. A uh, big deal there would be not to maybe mow for a while, delay your mowing. That helps encourage them uh, and avoid disturbing your thatch, your ground thatch, whatever it is, whether it's leaves or, or um, um, uh, grass. But I don't know of any specific plant that would be uh, helpful. Libby, do you? Um, no, I was just going to say insecticide, too. It's important that you don't spray yeah. where you want to have the fireflies. That's um, Don't disturb the leaf litter and don't spray anything. Basically, leaving things alone, and they love it. And don't have any bright outside lights. They will avoid going anywhere where there are bright lights. And we're talking... You know, it's seasonal, so it's not that you have to not mow at all, but if you will wait until, wait as long as you can, let it, let all the, the wildflowers get through blooming, and the the fireflies that we enjoy the most are our synchronous fireflies, and they'll be out mid-May, and so we don't mow very much of anything. We mow just a little bit until after they've emerged. It's a great excuse not to mow. I, I usually delay. You have, you I don't have, need any excuses in there. Yeah. How many what? He said he doesn't need an excuse not oh, to mow. Oh, okay. The, yeah, we live out in the country. Uh, another thing with fireflies that, that I discovered a few years ago that just fascinates me, uh, we've got a species called the Big Dipper that makes a, a, when it's out flying after dusk, you'll see it makes a little J-stroke. Uh, continuous like that's why it's called the big dipper it takes a dip and glows but in the after uh, late afternoon just at dusk when they're emerging a lot of times they'll be in tall grass and so you can see them they'll start coming up before the sun completely goes before it gets completely dark it's dusk but it's little bubbles of light will come up out of the grass and you'll see these things just rising it's a really cool effect and if you get close and look you can it's light enough to actually see the firefly when the light goes out and they'll glow up and then they'll they'll when the light goes out they'll go back down in the grass wherever they land and do it again Mm. so you see these i call them light bubbles it's a great phenomenon and a great excuse not to mow All right, uh, David, you have a pet question as well? Yeah, yes, sir, if you don't mind, please. Go ahead, sure. Uh, I've got several dogs, and um, uh, uh, I'm buying a name-brand dog food, and uh, one, of, uh, one of the dogs is throwing the food up. After he, after, after he eats it a while, he throws it up. He's thrown it up several times. And another dog, is when I let him out, he I got a little small dogs. They uh, He's eating a lot of grass. My question to you is uh, food sensitivities and um, what kind of plants are toxic to dogs? Because I'm afraid I might have some toxic plants in the yard. Maybe dogs may eat some of them. It's a great question. And, you know, there are a lot of plants that are toxic. Usually the dogs uh, will uh, selectively choose certain plants that are growing at a certain time of the year. And there are whole papers written on why do dogs eat grass and why do they eat plants. Some people feel like they have a craving, maybe if they have a GI upset to eat grass and this happens quite often they'll eat grass and then they'll throw up uh sometimes grass is passed through the system uh some people think that they may be choosing a natural worm medicine so to tell you the different types of uh plants most of the time the dogs will not eat the poisonous plants but not to say that they could uh 
the food, you've been feeding this food for a while. Yes, sir. Uh, and this one dog has been throwing up sporadically all yes, the time. Yes, sir, and, then, and the other dog, when he eats grass, he throws it back up. Right, and I would suggest maybe a food change. Uh, what's the name brand of the foods you're using? Come and get it by Purina. Right. Purina generally makes a quality food. You might want to switch to another one of theirs. Uh, there's a whole range of foods from, you know, $5 for 20 pounds to $70 for 20 pounds. Uh, so there's a wide range and a lot of selection. Uh, you might talk to your vet and th- talk about something for sensitive stomach. Uh, that might help um, that situation. The other thing, as we mentioned to the other caller, check, uh, check for intestinal parasites. That can be an issue uh, a lot of the time. Are certain breeds have do certain dog breeds have sensitive stomachs? Like I get little small dogs. Quite often, yes. Uh, however, there are conditions that may make a large dog throw up as well. But a lot of times, it is a small dog that seems to uh, throw up more. The other thing is, dogs can have tonsillitis just like you or I can, and you can see how that would cause them to gag or throw up. So. There, it might be good to have this one dog checked out just to be sure that there's nothing serious wrong. All right, David, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines for your call. If you'd like uh, to ask uh, our guest, Paul Hartfield, about fireflies or Dr. Major pet question, or as we say, we always like to hear your brushes with wildlife. So give us a call if you'd like to join in at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Paul, welcome back to the show. Always good to have you in studio with us. Well, thank you. Uh, if you would, for folks that might not have uh, been listening when you've been on before, remind us a little bit about your background and, and the work you do with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Yeah, I'm an endangered species biologist. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say you were an endangered species. No, okay. I'm a biologist. I study endangered species uh, for the Fish and Wildlife Service. I have to figure out what's where and why, and is it a threat, and is it actually in danger of extinction. And then once we get them on the list, I have to work with local communities and, and uh, scientists to figure out how do, we, how do we recover them, how do we get them off of this list. So it's a great job. Uh, just out of curiosity, maybe if you could name a couple of the things, creatures you work with. Yeah, right now I'm I'm mainly working with pallid sturgeon, uh, which is a prehistoric fish in the Mississippi River. It looks prehistoric, and it's been around since the dinosaurs, so I guess you could call it a, a prehistoric fish. And then also with um, interior least terns. It's a very small, it's the smallest of the terns in the whole world, and uh, our little tern flies all the way from uh, South America, this time of year. They should be arriving this month, actually. And uh, they nest on our larger rivers in the interior basin, from uh, basically from the Yellowstone in Canada all the way down into Louisiana and uh, other large rivers. So um, remind us again of you and Libby interested in fireflies. And I, I think if I remember correctly, because they were in your yard, and then you started noticing them. Give us a little idea of your interest in fireflies. Well, this started, I guess, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, we're always interested in the in the uh, natural world, and but we've never really tried to identify fireflies. We knew there were a variety of species, 
And a few years ago, our daughter was visiting at Mother's Day to visit her mother. And um, some other friends from Alabama were visiting. They had two little girls, Abby and Grace. Grace. <laughs> and uh, they were irritating us late one night. And we <laughs> said, y'all go outside and play. And they're, they're little outdoor women, little wild women. And they went out, and we could hear them squealing, chasing the toads and messing with everything. And pretty soon they got very quiet. They came running back, and they said, you have got to come and see what we found. And we said, well, what's that? And they said, it's fireflies. And we said, we can sit here on the porch and see the fireflies. And they said, no, you've got to get up and come. So we got up reluctantly, and we walked outside. It was about 9.30 at night. About 9.30 at night, dark, dark. And as soon as we stepped out of the edge into the woods, we were all struck dumb. And we saw this synchronous display of fireflies, which we had never heard of. And in fact, my daughter, who is an entomologist, our daughter, who is an entomologist, she says, uh, oh, my goodness, it's synchronous fireflies. These are only known from Asia. Hmm. And that was the what people believed. Uh, actually, synchronous fireflies were discovered in the U.S., uh, in about 1990, and I use discovered with quotation marks uh, because they've been here all along, obviously. And, and there have been numbers of people that watched them yeah. all along, quietly enjoying them. And Lynn Foss yeah. was one of them, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. going to give us the lecture uh, this week. So is it this week or next week? Next, next week. coming Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to come and meet Lynn. She's the one that brought this to the attention of science, I guess I should say. All right. Uh, we need to take another quick break. When we get back, we've got two calls on the line to get to, and we've got a lot of information to share with you about fireflies with our guest, Paul Hartfield. If you've seen any fireflies in your area, or if you've had a recent animal encounter, another reason why you can give us a call to join our conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. More creature comforts after this, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And our guest for the hour is Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We're talking today about fireflies, also looking for your pet questions and any brushes with wildlife that you would like to share with us. If you've missed any of today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Use your favorite podcast app on your smartphone, or you can download the MPB Public Media app. When you do that, you can listen to all the shows on MPB Think Radio on your schedule. Uh, got a couple of calls to get to before we dump, jump back into the Firefly discussion. So we begin with Cheryl in Purvis. Good morning, Cheryl. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. I've got a, a probably 16-year-old cat, and she's been an inside, mostly inside cat, uh, all of her life. And all of a sudden, she is outside. She wants outside all the mm-hmm. time. She'll come in, get a bite of food, and won't back outside. She's not comfortable. For some reason, she's not comfortable inside. We don't have another cat. Nothing's changed inside the house. But she do, do, do cats do cats forget that they've eaten? And she'll come back in every five minutes if somebody's there at the door waiting for her. Well, sounds like she may be going through a little dementia. Well, I wondered if that's type, type situation. That. What does she do when she's outside? Uh, just lays around, finds a place okay. comfortable, and just lays around. 
So what if you put food outside? What would she do? Yeah, she she will eat. I left some out this right. last week, right. and uh, uh, I just I thought, well, if she wants out, that's what I'll do. I'll just leave it out for her. Well, and she will eat that. You know, first of all, she's a cat, and they have the right to change their minds at any time, <laughs> and they do. Uh, that was an interesting cartoon. Uh, and this is all about cats, but it says if the world was flat. There would be nothing left on it because the cats would knock it off. Uh, but uh, she may have some actual dementia. Uh, but to tell you why she wants outside, I really can't answer that one. But uh, mm-hmm. I would offer some food outside as well. Is she in pretty good physical condition? Well, she's lost weight. Yeah. And she does have a, a skin condition that I give her a, a steroid shot okay. about once a month or once every six weeks. Okay. It might uh, be wise, unrelated to her wanting to go outside to have her checked. Uh, kidney disease in a 15-, 16-year-old cat is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would have her checked from the standpoint of just some basic blood work and see what kind of condition she is, okay? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Cheryl. Let's move on next. We've got uh, Calvin calling in from Ridgeland. Good morning, Calvin. Go ahead. Hi, thank you. Uh, I have a seven-year-old long-haired chihuahua, and he has fairly bad reflux. The, the vet has said that. It's not just me. Okay. And uh, okay. she had also suggested that I give him the smallest uh, milligram tablet of Pepsid. Okay, and that really helps. And I can, and also when he's licking his lips, uh, that was the first thing she asked me was, did he lick his lips sort of almost compulsively sometimes? And he does. And he also does it when he's, you know, I can tell when he's got he has a sense of stomach. I can tell when it's not good because he won't he won't eat. He'll skip a meal. Right. Um, but anyway, but I have a thing with my hand and I've got it's gotten where it's really hard for me to give them a pill it doesn't you know take like five or six tries and uh, all of that and I was wondering if there was something equivalent to that 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 could be uh you know diced up or crunched up and put on his food or you know or if there was like the sprinkles or something sure not to my knowledge as far as the sprinkles I'd have to check and see if there's a liquid version of that I suspect that uh, is he easily fooled, like with cheese or no? Uh, uh, <laughs> no, and he won't. He doesn't pill. gulp down anything. Okay. He will dissect it. Okay, I, I understand. It's kind of like kind of like the cat. Ch- He's very much like a cat in a lot of ways. <laughs> right. Uh, ask your vet if she would to to check and see if there's any liquid version of that. It might be easier. Uh, there is a liquid version for children, but it requires a prescription. Requires a prescription? Yeah, I just haven't gotten to that. I'd ask my uh, pharmacist about it. Right. Well, I'm sure she probably could write you one just to try and see, write you a script. Yeah. And see if that helps. And I understand a lot of a lot of our pets are very difficult to give a pill to, and they're very wise as far as dissecting mm-hmm. out the pill out of a treat. Uh, good luck with that, and sounds like the Pepsi is helping. All right, thank you. All right, uh, Calvin, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with our guest, Paul Hartfield, from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. He's here to help us learn more about fireflies. Now, Paul, if I remember correct from our discussion last year, a firefly is not a fly. 
So what is it? It's a beetle. Okay. And uh, they're in the family, the insect family Lampyridae. And there's uh, about, ooh, I'd say a thousand species worldwide or a little over a thousand species. And I think about a hundred of those are found here in the United States. So they're, um, they overwinter in the soil or in the uh, leaf litter, like we mentioned earlier. And they emerge in the uh, late winter, spring through summer. Different species emerge at different times. And uh, so you'll get different species coming out at different times of the year. Right now, the species that's out at our house is one that we call the treetop flasher. Uh, there's a whole complex of, of species in the genus Futurus that may exhibit this behavior. We're not really sure how many species this behavior represents. But generally, uh, the flash pattern is recognizable to a species or to a group of species. And the ones out that's out right now, it's called a treetop flasher. Well, obviously, you're going to look up into the treetops, and it's going to flash. And these guys have about a six to eight, uh, maybe even longer, sec- second uh, interval between their brief flash. They're very bright, though, so they're easy to see and very obvious this time of year. And so is the the flashing a, a sign of communication? Yeah, the flashing is how they find their mates Okay, in uh, most species. In a few species, the uh, group that we call the femphetiles, <laughs> The females will mimic uh, other species' flashes to lure the males of other species in. And the, the main reason we think they're doing this is, is not just for a protein meal, but it's to get the uh, – most fireflies or a lot of fireflies have a natural toxin that makes them taste bad. That's what you smell when you catch them with your hands or you've got them in a jar. You can smell it. It's not appetizing at all. You can imagine if you were a bird or a bat. If you hit one of these guys, you're not going to do it again. So the femme fatales, they catch other species. They eat them to get their toxin, which then goes into their eggs and provides their larvae with protection. And that's the main reason that they, they think they're doing it. And as we've learned again, uh, nature certainly uh, can't uh, be topped by Hollywood in some sort of dramatic plot. That sounds <laughs> yes, very... <laughs> yes, yes, When you think about it, I mean, these that flashing, it's kind of a desperate call. They're only going to be a, an adult for a few days mm-hmm. and then they're going to die so if the only chance of of passing on their genetic material is to go ahead and find a, a mate so that's why they want to be away from light you know people say can light actually kill them well in a way it does because it keeps them from being able to find a mate they can't breed so <clears throat> you won't have the population in that area the next year so if you can keep your lighting to a minimum while you've got your fireflies out, you're going to have more the next year. Now, uh, Libby, the fireflies has given Creature Comforts a chance to do a little bit of citizen science. So if you would, tell us about that and some of the results that you've got. Yes, and the first thing I guess we have to do is say thank you to our listeners because we got such an incredible response when we started talking about these things. We've now... Uh, have accounts in, of, of populations of synchronous fireflies, the one that all mm-hmm. sh- uh, shine together, flash together, in 13 Mississippi counties. And wow. they're spread all over the state, so I think we probably could double that. And I guess we will ask for our listeners' help again. And uh, what you've got to do is go outside in the woods 
after about nine o'clock. So it's I know it's asking a lot, you know, get out there. And um, I always say there are less mosquitoes then than I have been. And, um, and you believe that. <laughs> I do believe that. And I've had several entomologists tell me, yes, the peak for mosquitoes is at dusk. And that's when when some of the the fireflies are, are out. So that gives me a little problem. But the synchronous fireflies don't come out until dark, dark. You know, it's got to be after 9 o'clock usually. And they're only going to be in places where there is is not a lot of light. If you get in those woods with a bright flashlight, you've got to cut it off and stand there for a few seconds before you'll see them because they don't even want to try to compete. You know, they've got limited energy for a limited number of days. They're not going to flash if they see a bright light. There's just no reason. So you've got to be in the dark. You can spray yourself or put bug spray on before you go to the woods, but don't spray it when you're out there or you'll, you'll, you, they are very sensitive to that. And um, it, it helps if you check the timing. And in fact, you know, they can get in touch with us through our animals. Okay, uh, animals at mpbonline.org. Yeah, if right? they want to talk more. But generally speaking, in fact, we started calling it the Mother's Day Firefly before we knew somebody had named it the Snappy Sinks because they emerge about Mother's Day in central Mississippi. We know um, got a, a a watcher in Covington, and he's got them now, so there's a good chance that they'll be along the Gulf Coast. Yeah, they're at their peak in so, Covington now, and we need reports from South Mississippi. We really have none. So okay. people will get out, and uh, again, it's kind of woods that haven't been mowed. They don't have to be terribly dense. Our woods are not real old. We've got a few old trees out there, uh, but they, they do like oak trees. They like a place that's moist, but it's not standing water. All right. Uh, let's get a call in before our next break, and we'll talk to Craig in Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. You're on the air with us. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I have a, a few questions. Uh, if I catch a uh, firefly, how long can I keep them in a jar uh, to show children? And what 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 do they eat? And, and I have a few more questions. They'll they'll probably live a couple of days in a jar, as I recall from my youth. I but it, yeah, it, that'll be the end of its jars. life. That will be the end of its life, yeah. Yeah, we don't yeah. recommend people catching them very right. much, but I don't think catching a few will hurt anything. Um, yeah. They don't eat anything when they're adults except for the species, the, the femphatiles that are out for uh, poison. I think some uh, diurnal fireflies will nectar and eat pollen. But uh, generally, they're they're not, they're out for a very brief period of time to mate, and uh, now they do their eating and growing when they're a larva down in the leaf litter. And at that time, they're predaceous. Yeah, they're hunters. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. What what is a glowworm? And then I have a cat question. Glowworms are uh, generally larvae of fireflies. The the larvae of of a firefly that flashes is also going to glow. Uh, the largest one is called a railroad worm. You can see those in the woods if you walk around in the woods at night with your light out. Uh, you can look down, you'll see a line of specks. Uh, they can be an inch, inch and a half long. They're very large, and they have um, a series of, of, of uh, what, what would you call them, light? Lights on each well, abdominal. Yeah, the segment. way the lights are lined up, it almost looks like a railroad track. Yeah, okay. they're, they're so really they're cool. seasonal then too. 
Yeah, well, glowworms are out all the time. Um, the, well, the larvae, warm weather. I'll, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, they do sleep over winter usually. Mm-hmm. But uh, so you can find them if you kick around out there. Um, one thing about lights to see the synchronous fireflies. You really need to be out there with a the light. Last year, Dr. Richard Brown for the Mississippi Animal Museum. You've got to turn yeah. your light off. Uh, he came out and saw our synchronous population and was blown away. And he said, what's going on? I'm a lepidopterist. That means he studies moths. He's out every night for 40, 50 years in the woods. And he said, I've never seen this. Why haven't I seen it? And I said, turn your light on, Richard. He turned it on, and all of a sudden we couldn't see any fireflies. Mm-hmm. So he's out there catching moths, which are attracted to light. So he's always got a light on. And that's why he had never seen these things. All right, uh, Craig, uh, thanks for your call. We need to take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up for this episode of Creature Comforts. Still time to work in a phone call or an email. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464 or email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org back with more creature comforts after this so stay tuned mpbonline.org is the destination for everything mississippi public broadcasting catch up on past shows from think radio check out mpb tv or music radio and become a sustaining member all from one place get connected now at mpbonline.org we're back on Creature Comforts. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest today is Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We've been talking about fireflies throughout the hour. Still time to work in a quick phone call at one eight seven seven mpb ring at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Peggy's been holding on for a long time. Thanks, Peggy, for holding. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. You're welcome. Thank you for taking my call. I have four female pygmy goats. Um, I think they're all expecting right now. I've had a billy in with them for about a month. And they are really irritated. I let them out every day to graze. And they're really irritated with the flies and gnats and stuff right now. Always twitching and scratching. Maybe even mites. I don't know how to detect that. Uh, what is a, something that I could do that would be safe for my mamas to put on them? Okay. I haven't had any experience lately with goats, but there should be some things that are safe for a pregnant uh, uh, goat that would actually repel at least the flies. I wouldn't use anything that you would put on their backs or anything. I believe there are some either collars or ear tags that will repel the flies and should be safe. Uh, Okay. I would check that out. I would not know. A lot of times if you'll go online, uh, there's a company called NASCO, N-A-S-C-O, that has a lot of uh, supplies for uh, goats uh, as well as cattle and other livestock. But go online and see what you can find uh, for that. Oh, I did go online and looked at some goat sites, and they suggested brewer's yeast because it was high in vitamin D, uh, okay. either to eat or to dust with. Uh, our co-op 
didn't have any, and I wasn't sure if I had to order it, or is there some place you know that would carry something like that? You know, I used that successfully with a cat for years that really helped. I hadn't thought about that for a long time. But, but were you feeding it to the cat, or were you putting it on the cat? She was eating it, and she, yeah. and she liked it and would eat it every day. It helps in some cases. I'm concerned about the flies, though. That might be a, an issue. Mm-hmm. And certainly, if you can put it on as a repellent, it should be safe. So uh, you should be able to find that uh, uh, somewhere. I don't, I don't know where. Um, I would think the grocery store would have it. Yeah, I got it at a health food at right. Rainbow Co-op. Right. But, I, yeah, you might have to order it. I don't know. Right. But okay. Let I us know how that works. It'd be interesting to know. Yes. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Peggy, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Go ahead, Libby. I just have one quick comment. I think we were just saying earlier what I really love about fireflies is right now when insects are driving us all nuts. And you're worried about insects. It's so nice to have one <laughs> insect out there that is just enjoyable. It brings pleasure. Yes. Very good. So, uh, Paul, some of these species have some fun common names. What are, what are some of your favorites? Oh, there's all kinds of favorites. But what I've been doing lately with uh, Lynn Falls blessing is making up my own that's the easiest that's the the easiest way to remember these things and they're generally descriptive and i can say oh lynn i saw some mississippi slow goes slow glows last night and she'll say oh uh, yeah chinese lanterns should be out right so she knows exactly what i'm talking about when i come up with a name but yeah there's chinese lanterns um, slow glows. There's several kinds of ghosts. Yeah, blue ghosts. Really cool, and right. they have a very faint glow. Different. So you yeah. do kind of feel like you've just seen a ghost. Now the synchronous ones are those the snappy sinks. That's the snappy, snappy sinks because they they flash fast and together and kind of in a mat about four feet off the ground and it's it's not a real bright light. It's okay. A, it's a very fast light. And uh they I think it's one of the fast flashes. It's a little faster than one flash per second. And it's continuous. Now you might have heard of the synchronous fireflies in the Smoky Mountains, uh that people come from all over the world to see. Those are not quite as um fast. They're a little slower and they happen in burst. They don't just go all the time the way ours do down here. All right, before we run out of time, do want to remember remind folks of the lecture coming up. So, Libby, if you could give us the details on that. Tuesday, May the 7th at the Museum of Natural Science at noon. Okay. And there's going to be a firefly party off the Trace Nature or Craft Center. Yeah, we'll okay. talk about that later. A couple okay. weeks. Yeah. A couple weeks. All right, and also then uh, to participate in our little citizen science project about fireflies, if you have seen some in your area, just send uh, your location and kind of what you saw to animals at mpbonline.org. Let's end the show real quickly with a call from Debbie in Wesson. You're on the air with us, Debbie. Go ahead. Hey, this is Quick. Brewer's yeast should be able to be found over the counter at any drugstore, any grocery store that has a drugstore in it. All right, very good. So, Thank uh, you. Head to your local drugstore, and you should be able to find some brewer's yeast. All right, so uh, got about one minute or so left. Um, any final thoughts on, on fireflies? Give us a call if, you, if you're watching fireflies. And if, you know, even if you're not sure they're the synchronous ones, you might go ahead and send us some information and, or give me a contact number, and I'll call you, and we can chat about it and figure out what they are. 
and keep your eyes open in South Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should be at peak in the South right now. All right, so that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded and provided in part by listeners like you. If you want to hear today's show again or listen back to a previous show, go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener this morning was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Paul Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.